So show of hands, who here has been reading through the Psalms with the church? Who here just loves reading the Psalms? You don't even need the church to be doing it to love reading the Psalms. Everybody loves the Psalms, right? Everybody loves the Psalms. Everybody loves certain Psalms more than others. You might be a big fan of David's Psalms. You might be a fan of the Psalms of the sons of Korah, the Psalms of Asaph, or or just the unwritten writers of the Psalms. And there's a good reason for that. See, God in His wisdom, he, He didn't just leave us His Word, but He left us inspired songs as well. And music, it has this wonderful ability to capture experience, right? Music has this ability to, through lyrics, through melody, and through the written word, has the ability to take you with the songwriter on a journey that they've experienced, and you find yourself there right now. Now, like I said, everybody has their favorite psalms. Some people love uh, uh Psalms of praise to you, O Lord, I lift up my voice. Some people love those psalms that just want to give God all of the glory, right? Psalm 115, right? Or some people, they, they love those psalms that are uh, they're a little bit strange. You know, Lord, deliver me from my enemies. Crack the bones of the wicked. Break their teeth. Hopefully that's none of you. And if it is, hey, let's get some lunch and I'd love to talk to you. Uh. <laughs> But all of us find ourselves in the Psalms. All of us, if we love the Lord, if we've been walking with the Lord, all it takes is the right day and the right psalm, and you find yourself there. Right? These songs, they're beautiful because they're also, many of them are prayers. Right? Many of these psalms, they, they aren't just a, a great tune to whistle to. They're, they're prayers that get your mind focused on God. And they get your mind focused on God when you worship God. They get your mind focused on God when you're going through hard times. And like the psalm that we're going to be studying tonight, Psalm 130, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, they also write out these prayers of when your life seems to have conflict between you and God. Right? We hear a lot of doctrine about how we can be justified through faith in Jesus Christ, and we are very thankful for that. We, we hear a lot of doctrine about the, the security of the believer, that, hey, if you've been placed into the Father's hands, no one is able to snatch you out of His hand. We don't hear too much about what that experience is like when sin happens. You see, a lot of times I meet with people and they're in a very distressed situation in life because they love the Lord and they've been walking with the Lord and then they fall. And it seems like this sin, it doesn't just seduce their behavior at one point, but it taints their thoughts for a while and they don't necessarily know what to do. If that's ever been you or if that will be you in the future, that might be you right now. Psalm 130 is the psalm for you. So if you guys would mind, stand out of respect for God and His Word. Let's hear what the psalmist has to say, and let's see if we can't find ourselves going through these similar emotions. Psalm 130, a song of ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. 
If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. That is the reading of God's Word. You can sit down. Just on a sidebar, I've always wanted to be able to say that. Um, But Psalm 130, Psalm 130 is a prayer. It's a song of ascent. You kind of see a little bit of a play on words, and I don't know how much you guys know about songs of ascent, but these were songs that were written kind of like an album when, when the people of Israel would make their pilgrimage to Jerusalem for, for these festivals. They, they had this kind of album that they would sing along as they went up to Jerusalem. Some of us are going to be going to Israel soon. Is anybody in here? I know Michael is going to be going to Israel. So he's going to give you some firsthand experience because Israel or uh, because Jerusalem, it's a city set on a hill, which means you got to go up no matter where you're going. Right. If you're getting to Jerusalem, wherever you're coming from, you're heading up, which means you're down deep when you go up. So you start to see that little bit of play on words right here in the beginning when the psalmist says, out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Right, and if you read commentaries on this verse, if you read commentaries on this entire psalm, there is a unanimous conclusion that this is somebody who knows God. This is somebody who is close with God, a mature believer. And it's because of the language that this person uses. Right, the psalmist, he, he starts off crying out to, you see that, O Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that's Yahweh, that's God's personal name. This is a personal discussion between the psalmist and God. And they're not just crying out because their legs are hurting, because they're walking up this hill and their feet are getting a little bit sore. But this person, he's crying out for a whole nother reason. Look at verse 2. tells us why. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. See, the psalmist, he's, he's crying out because he needs mercy, right? And the reason that he needs mercy is because he's sinned, right? And, and this thing starts happening here as you start looking at this verse. The, the psalmist, he is, he's crying out for this mercy. And when we start to think about that, it's pretty common in the Christian experience. I mean, think about the last time, if you're a believer, when you sinned against God, Right, and you go back to God to pray, you don't necessarily feel that same level of intimacy. Right? And then we, we, we get that idea that this is what the psalmist is going through out of this repetition. I'm crying to you, God. God, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. I'm making supplication. God, I'm crying. I'm crying. I'm calling out to you, but it feels like nothing is coming back. Right? I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but it is a very sorrowful experience when you feel like the one who is the I am, Yahweh, everywhere, always, can't hear you. 
Right? There, there, there's this disconnect that the psalmist feels. There's this separation that he feels. And, and there's other scriptures that can kind of help us understand what that is like. If you would turn with me to Isaiah chapter 59. Isaiah chapter 59, a, a great, great passage. Many of you know this, but it, it gives us a little bit of insight as to what might be going on in this relationship with the psalmist and Yahweh. Isaiah 59, because as believers, we understand that, hey, when, when we sin, right, and this is something we have to make clear from the get-go, right, when a believer sins, is he unsaved after he sins? Thank you, Jonah Morris knew the answer. Thank you, Jonah. Right. It's true, and he was right, too. We, we, we know that there's not this legal consequence to sin. That our redemption has been purchased in full, paid by the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is a relational consequence to sin. Uh, and I don't know that anybody here would not relate to that experience. If you know the Lord, you know what that feels like. There is this sense of consequence that comes when we, we've been unfaithful to the one we've professed our love to. Right? Isaiah chapter 59, it says, Behold, sorry, in verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. It's not like God lost His ears when, when you're crying out to Him. It's not like God is busy doing something else. He's in the other room watching Netflix so He can't hear what you're saying. Right, but look at what happens. It says in verse 2, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you, so that He does not hear. Right? You see, our, our sin, it does make this separation from God. Now, if you have heard this verse quoted, I'm sure you've heard this verse quoted to kind of signify that, hey, like if you're unconverted, if you're living in sin, you are cut off from God, right? Your, your sin has completely separated you from God. You have no access to God because of sin. That is very much true, but it is also very much true as a believer, as a saved individual. When you sin, there is a sense of separation that, that happens between you and the Lord. And look at what it says there. It says your sins have hidden His face from you. Right? It doesn't say that your sins have hidden you from His face. Right? Yahweh sees. God, God, He is still there, but you can't see Him. See, that is one of the most disastrous effects of sin. See, when, when, when we've been lured and enticed by our own desires, when we have given in to whatever temptation has arisen, it, it seems like God becomes blurry. Like we can't see Him clearly anymore. And, and that begins to create a little bit of distress. We, we see this in one of the greatest psalm writers, the great king of Israel, the man after God's own heart. David writes about this. If you would turn with me to Psalm chapter 51, a beloved psalm, Almost everybody's favorite psalm, because it's such a relatable psalm. See, David, he was a man after God's own heart. He was the anointed king of Israel. God chose David to be the ruler of his people. David wrote many great, beautiful lyrics about his love for the Lord. 
his devotion to the Lord, unmatched, unparalleled in his time. But see, David had this thing that happened to him in the summertime when kings go off to war. David remained there in Israel and lingered. And as he was there in a place he ought not be, he was looking at things that he ought not to look at. And he started to do some things that he ought not to do. And he committed adultery. He, he saw a woman bathing. He desired her in his heart. He took her, laid with her as if it was his wife. And then to cover up his sin, he had that woman's husband killed. See, David, he, he sinned greatly against the Lord. And it wasn't until David was confronted by Nathan the prophet, he was rebuked. You are the man. You've sinned against God. That David sees his guilt. And when he sees his guilt, listen to what he says. Psalm 51. Start with me in verse 1. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. We see that same repetition that our friend the psalmist in Psalm 130 is using. Verse 2, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. You see, if you know the Lord and you love the Lord, you understand that there are certain things that God is never going to be okay with. See, sin, it's not just a mistake. Sin is not just, oops, my bad. Let me try better again. Sin, sin is a disastrous thing. It's evil. See, David, he sees that and he recognizes that, that his sin wasn't just against this woman or her husband, even though it most certainly was. But as David makes his petition to Yahweh, saying, Lord, it's against you, you only, that I have sinned and done what's evil in your sight. So point number one, we can get it down like this. See that your sin is between you and God. And after you've written down that point, we can go back to Psalm 130, because we're going to go from the depths to a little bit deeper. You see, a lot of times when we realize that we have sinned, a lot of times when we understand that what we've done is evil, we agree with God. We make that confession. We feel that sorrow. We, we feel like that guilt is almost surrounding us. And that would be a great definition for that word, depths. It's almost like being drowned in the sea. I'm overwhelmed. It's inescapable. I can't get out of this, right? It, it, it continues in this logical kind of frame of thinking that a lot of us find ourselves doing, right? Verse number 3, Psalm 130, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? We see God's proper name given one more time. God, the Holy One, Yahweh, the I Am. If you should mark sin, who could stand? You see, that word for mark, it's not just like a writing it down on a piece of paper. It's kind of like an archer who's marked his target. It's like keeping watch, guarding, treasuring up. I'm holding on to this. God, if you held on to a record of wrong, God, if you would mark iniquities, who is it that could stand? 
See that word standing, we see it often in the Psalms, you see it a lot in Proverbs, that the wicked, they, they cower in fear, they shrink back, but the righteous stand free. Right? This word is for standing tall. See what our psalmist here is saying, he's saying, God, if you would hold sin against anybody, we'd all be guilty. Who is it that could stand? And now a lot of times, let's think back to our own lives. This can be us, right? Let's say we sin. We know it's grievous. It's wounded our spirit. It's created this distance, this friction in our relationship with God. And then the accuser, he starts to come. We start to get these terrible, terrible thoughts, right? See, one of the horrible things that sin does to a believer is it snatches up your assurance, you have no confidence anymore because you're not living the way you know you can. Right? You, you've done something you know you could have said no to, but you said yes anyways. And, and, and follow this logical sequence. See if this doesn't fit into some thoughts that you've usually had or you might have had. Right? We sin. We do something wrong. We feel bad. And then we start to think, what if I'm not saved? What if God doesn't forgive me? We, we start to think about verses, really, really sobering, very, very frightening verses. Hebrews 6, Hebrews 10. Right? If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. God, I sinned. Is that me? Right? We, we, we hear Jesus in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Lord, I thought I loved you, but I didn't keep your commandments. Is that me? Am I still good with you, God? Is it close? God, can you hear me? God, am I the only one sitting in this room right now? Have you deserted me? Have I been abandoned? God, I know your word says you'll never leave us or forsake us, but I don't feel your presence. Was I deceived? I've seen this happen to so many people. I've seen this happen in my own life. And it's a poisonous thing. And it corrupts your soul. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible experience. And as we start to think about that, I mean, we can start to see so many people flash through our minds. We can see ourselves going through our minds. We get this sorrow and it feels like there's nowhere I can set it. I start to think more inwardly i start to think about god's judgment i start to think about my sin and i start to realize a horrible frightening thing that if god does mark my iniquity i won't stand if god does hold this against me hell is my destination and there's nothing i can do about that and see if that was the end of psalm 130 this would not be anybody's favorite psalm Right? This would be a horrible song. Like we would start to question, like, is every single verse in the Bible, every single chapter of Scripture is inspired by God? Because that feels tough. That's harsh. Rightfully so. But it doesn't end there. Verse 4. Back in Psalm 130. Verse 4, it says, But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the good doctor, he, he says, praise God for the buts in the Bible. Right? Let, let us rejoice that with the Lord, hey, there is forgiveness. Right? If you're in here and you're going through this, I want you to know something, that with God, there is forgiveness. 
There is. We can rejoice that God, He is a God who forgives and He forgives on purpose. He delights to forgive. We can rejoice like it says in Psalm 103 verse 10. It says that God, He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. Psalm 34 18 says that Yahweh, He is near to the brokenhearted. That, that He is He saves the crushed in spirit. Keep your finger in Psalm 130, but real fast, turn with me to Micah chapter 7. Micah, as he's writing to the southern kingdom in a time where they are about to experience a great tribulation, he's kind of predicting this this hard time that's about to come upon them. But at the end of Micah chapter 7, you start to see this beautiful, beautiful expression of praise to the Lord. You start to see this beautiful truth that fits so well with our passage, and we'll see why right now. Micah chapter 7, start with me in verse 18. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of His inheritance? He does not retain His anger forever, but He delights in steadfast love. Yes, rejoice. Rejoice. Give thanks to God that that is what God says about Himself. He delights to have steadfast love. It's no chore for God. It's what He prefers to do. It is His desire, right? That is a good thing for a holy God to have. Verse 19, it says, He will again, not for the first time, He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Beautiful verse. Write it in your soul. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Uh, this verse is often used to mention this idea of God's sea of forgetfulness. Anybody ever heard somebody say that before? The sea of forgetfulness. I like that. I don't know why, but it sounds good. Right? <laughs> it, and it's true, right? It, it is true that God, He will throw, us, throw our sin into the sea of His forgetfulness. Let us rejoice once more that that depth of sorrow that we cry out to God in, that depth that we feel because of sin, God can take that from your heart and place it into the bottom of the sea. Right? That is something that God wants to do for His people. But that's not all that Psalm 130 verse 4 said. If we turn back there, it says that with you there is forgiveness. And it has this very, very puzzling half a sentence that honestly as I studied for this took me about four days to kind of think through. It's very, very confusing if I'm going to be quite honest with you. It says, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You see, when I hear that, it just kind of like sounds weird. It sounds kind of even weird as I say that. And I know what I'm about to say about it. But it's just kind of strange. With you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. Because in my mind, like forgiveness, fear, how do those fit together? Right? Like, why is there fear with forgiveness? It didn't really make sense to me. So then I took to some commentaries, which was sort of helpful, but really confusing. Uh, a lot of people, they had a lot of good things to say about this fear. It's not this fear of judgment. Like, okay, yeah, like I could kind of assume that. Forgiveness, fear. They did a really, really good job about talking about what that fear wasn't. Right? Uh, some commentators, they would say, this is a fear because like, you could have been judged, but you weren't judged. Yeah, that makes sense. That's super true. 
right? When I think about God's power, when I think about God's judgment, that is very frightening, right? And I'm very thankful that I will not experience that. And some people say like the classic one, my, my favorite spiritual way of saying I don't really know how to answer this question, say like, well, this fear is like, really what it means is like reverence. Anybody ever hear somebody say that? It's a really good way of saying I don't know how to explain what that means, right? And there is truth. There, there is a sense of reverence that we approach the Lord. There is a sense of awe. But this word says fear. With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. And I started to get kind of puzzled about that until I looked up to the top of this psalm. And as I studied more, I remembered this is a song of ascents. You see, as these men were traveling up to Jerusalem, to the temple, we're going to these great feasts. And at these feasts, there were these things called, anybody want to know? Starts with an S. Sacrifices. Right, you see, as the men of Israel start gathering together, they, they weren't just traveling with one another. They had another companion with them. Right? They, they had something with them to get forgiveness. Right? And I'm convinced that this, this fear that we have, it's not a fear of forgiveness, but it is a fear of God because of why we have forgiveness. All right, let's get a little bit more insight into what this guy was thinking. Turn with me, if you can, to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 4, if this is the first time you've ever heard a sermon where you turn to Leviticus 4, you're welcome. <laughs> you see, when God forgave us, with God there is forgiveness, but forgiveness doesn't mean forgetness, right? Forgiveness doesn't mean, hey, let's not think about that no more, or hey, like what you did, it wasn't cool, but let's just not talk about it until we're all good. Right? That, that, that's not how God forgives. God, He didn't say, you know, in order for me to forgive you, I'm going to have to adjust my standard, which is absolute perfection, so that I can compromise and call you righteous. No. You see, the, the reason that we have forgiveness is because something else has to be forsaken. Leviticus chapter 4, look with me at verse 27. It says, If anyone of the common people's sins unintentionally in doing one of these things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done and realizes his guilt, or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour out all the rest of the blood at the base of the altar and all its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offering. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord and the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. Right, you see, there, there, there is a real sense of fear when it comes to forgiveness, because forgiveness is not free. Right? For a holy God to forgive a sinful person, that's going to come with a cost. Hebrews 9, verse 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You see, as this psalmist, he's singing this song, he's crying out this prayer to the Lord, he's traveling to a place where he's bringing with him this innocent baby girl goat. And he knows that because of his sin, this symbol of innocence is about to die. 
right? His sin, it's got a high price. That forgiveness, it's going to cost us something. And how much more for us? As we travel forward in time, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we'll start to look at the real lamb, right? When, when, when the psalmist was traveling up to offer his burnt offering, he, he's going to offer a lamb, right? He, he's going to offer a goat, female without blemish. But see, what God has done for us is God in His great love for humanity and God in His desire to make us whole and right with Him. God offered the Lamb. God offered the spotless Lamb. His own Son. You're in verse Peter chapter 2. Start with me in verse 21. It says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Yeah, when we think about that, right? When we think about Christ, that name means the Holy One, the Anointed One. This is perfection walking on earth. This is God dwelling among men. And what Scripture is going to tell us clearly is that He suffered for us in our place. You see that, that depth of sorrow, that fear of suffering, it's taken off of us because it's placed on someone else. God has to do something with that guilt. That sin must be paid for. And let's look at how Christ did this suffering and how He did pay for that sin, leaving you an example so you might follow in His steps. Verse 22, He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continued entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. You see, this idea of a lamb, this idea of this sin offering, the, the, the real sense of this is as you brought this animal up, it did not hesitate one bit the entire time. As you led it from your house to that altar, it just stuck by your side. It said nothing. It did not resist you. It just followed along. And see, Christ being the true Lamb of God, the real sacrifice for sin, He follows in this pattern. He, he is that pattern realized. Because when He offered Himself up for us, He offered Himself up for us willingly. He did not resist this. This was something that He was willing to do. This was something that He set Himself to do. Verse 24, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds we are healed. You see, our guilt and its demand for death, it can only be taken away from us because it's given to someone else. Right? You see, that, that depth, like we've already said, that depth of pain, it's going somewhere. It's not just disappearing. It's not like vapor rising up and just never to be seen again. That's placed on the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Right? And, and if you start to think about that, you start to think about who this God is that you have a relationship with, how severely He takes sin, and yet how He does that willingly. I think the proper response is fear. 
right? We rejoice, absolutely. Because of God's love for us, because of His offer of forgiveness and salvation, we throw ourselves at God's mercy. We cry out to God and God alone because He is the only one who can make that payment. He is the only one that can forgive that sin. But as we cry out to God, as we see that sacrifice offered for us, we also fear the Lord. Because God is very, very serious about sin. There is no way that God could show us that He is more serious about sin than the way that He has dealt with sin. Point number two, if you're taking notes, let's, let's get it down like this. Praise and fear for the forgiveness of God. See, God, he, he is a merciful God. He is a holy God. He is a God who is highly esteemed, but He is also highly feared. And once you're done taking that note, we can turn back to Psalm 130, because we're still kind of in the depths, right? Because if you're anything like me, if you're, if you're in this position like our friend the psalmist is, where we've sinned, we feel that guilt, we feel that shame. We, we fear that judgment. And then we're, we're given this great sense of truth that, hey, like there is forgiveness. There's a way out of this. There's a way that I can be reconciled to God. Even as a believer, I need to go back to the gospel when I sin. Even as a Christian, I don't care how long you've known the Lord. When you sin against God and grieve in your soul, you need to go back to the foundation. You need to go back to that pure, simple gospel truth that you and you alone, not your good deeds, not the ministry you've done, not the people you've seen get saved, not the songs you sing at church. It is Christ and His shed blood that you need to turn your mind back to. Because that is the only place where you will find peace for your soul. That is the only place where your heart will feel delighted again. That is where you must go because that is the only place you can go. But knowing that that is true and knowing that that is true are two very, very different things. You hear what I'm saying right there? It's kind of like, yeah, like I, I hear the song. Like I know the words to that song. And then you're like, no, nah, bro, I know the words to that song. Right? There's a big difference. And, and how do you get there? Because you see, I, I feel like there's this common problem I see in the church. Right? Pastor Bobby's kind of coined this phrase, the penalty box. For here's usually what people do. We sin. We, 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 we know the Gospel. We, we're not going to continue in this pattern of sin. But we're also still walking around kind of like ho-hum. Like, kind of like a spiritual Eeyore. Like I'm kind of like in trouble. God put me on time out. And what the dangerous thing is, is a lot of people that do this thing, maybe subtly, is I start to think, maybe I'll just start doing enough good stuff. And once I prove to myself my devotion to the Lord, then I'll delight. Brothers and sisters, please do not do that. Do not rejoice in your own good works. Do not take comfort in the good things that you have done. Go back to God. Right? Because usually what happens is people do that and they kind of end up keeping letting themselves down. And that zeal that you once had for the Lord, that passion that you had to serve Him, that kind of stays on time out. And you kind of try and do this thing where you try to prove to yourself your worthiness of being forgiven of your sin. It's crazy. But that's what sin does to people. It makes you crazy. Right? Well, what's the solution? I'm glad you asked because I was next on my notes. <laughs> I knew I could get you to laugh. All right. Verse 5. I wait for the Lord. 
My soul waits, and in His word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Now this word, wait for the Lord. I know in Scripture there's a lot of different ways you can take that. Right? If you're waiting to get a job, you might be waiting for the Lord. It's kind of like I'm, I'm asking God every day, but then I'm just kind of going about my business. You know? like I'm not like, expecting someone to knock on my door as I'm praying, like, hey, I got a job for you. Hey, sometimes that happens. Praise God. I would not encourage you to make that like your financial security plan. <laughs> right? You're going to have to get out and start doing some things. That's just usually how it works. I'm sorry. It is. This waiting for the Lord, it's not like, Lord, I'm waiting for like the one, you know. Again, guys, gals, if that's your approach, you might get a knock on the door, but that's probably not the one, you know. (laughs) For real. Right? It's not this this idea here, waiting for the Lord. This isn't like, God, I'm just going to ask you to please forgive me one more time, and then I'm going to go, you know, hang out with my buddies or watch Netflix or, you know, listen to some music or go skateboard, whatever the thing I like to do, get coffee or go on some crazy hike at 4 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) None of those things, right? It's not this like, God, I'm going to pray, but then I'm going to like try not to think about this for the while, right? Look back at this verse. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, right? What if I was asked you, what does it mean for your soul to wait? See, this Hebrew word soul, it's kind of an all-encapturing thing. It's like your appetite, your mind, your devotion, your affections, your whole being. I'm waiting. I'm anticipating. It's this sense of, like, I'm not going to not think about this. right? I'm not going to walk away from this. This is that idea of tarrying with the Lord. This is prayer. This isn't, I, I prayed for five minutes accumulatively over six weeks and then I feel a little bit better over my, about myself. Like This is like, God, I'm going to sit here. My soul will have no peace until I have peace with You. Right? This is what it means. My soul waits for the Lord. And then right after that, and in His Word, I hope. So I'm going to God. I have my sin, but I have the key that unlocks the door. I have the Word. I have His promise. God, You said this. You said this, God. You said You would cast my iniquities to the bottom of the sea. You said that He bore my sin in His body on the cross so that I could die to sin and live to righteousness. God, You said if anyone confesses his sins that You're faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse them from all unrighteousness. That's what You said, God. And I'm hoping in that. So I'm waiting for that. This isn't like, God, can you please answer me tomorrow, but i got to get to work. This is like, God, I'm going to stay up as long as I have to. I'm going to sit right here. Because that's what You said, Lord. And I'm desperate. I don't want anything else. My soul waits for Yahweh. It doesn't wait for me to feel better about myself. It waits for Him. I need You to show up, God. I need the sense that You're here with me one more time, or I will not rest. I'm not going to think about anything else. I can't think about anything else. Look, verse 6. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. Now, if you're anything like me, you would have to go study what a watchman is and what a watchman does. I'll, I'll give you the, you know, I'll burst the bubble. He watches. That's what he does. Right? 
a, a watchman to you, he would, he would be posted up for one of two very, very important things. To see enemies coming to the city or to see a messenger coming to the city. And see, that watchman, he's going to sit up all night long. That's his job. So if I was to ask you, the last time you'd sinned, you'd felt this grief. Were you waiting for the Lord more than a watchman for the morning? You see, this watchman, he knows I'm not leaving until the sun rises. I'm prepared. I'm anticipating. I'm looking. I'm focused on one thing. That's the horizon. And my eyes do not get set on anything else. And in case you didn't hear it the first time, he says it twice. More than watchman for the morning. God, I'm sitting right here. God, you said this in your word. God, you must hear me. It's what you said. Please, God, come to me. Please, I'm not going to leave until I see the Lord. God, I want you to be close. I don't want this sin. You said you would forgive. I repent. I am here. You see, we think about repentance in all the wrong kind of ways sometimes. We think about repentance sometimes as like, I got to stop doing sin X and I got to start doing good thing A. Right? Repentance is, I got to get all this out of my way because I got to make room for Christ. Right? That's repentance. Repentance is, God, I want you. I don't want your benefits right now. I don't want anything else because I can't enjoy anything else until I have you. A real relational sense that I am the Lord's and the Lord is mine. See, my friends, we, we live in this time where I had to look up. I'm trying to read a book on what does it look like to wait for the Lord. I have to travel back centuries to read writings on what this even means. Hundreds of years. This is a forgotten thing. But what's not a forgotten thing seems all too common is this penalty box we live in. As believers, brothers and sisters, we sit and we sulk and we mourn. And I don't mean to cast that in any kind of shameful way. I mean that to encourage you. There's a different solution, but it takes effort. It takes time. It takes focus. It takes dedication to God. We need to learn how to pray better if we want to feel that intimacy. right? I'm married. I love my wife. I could not imagine if I had done something to grieve my wife, evil in her sight, and I just show up to say hi to her for three, four minutes a day, and then I leave and just wait until she feels better about it and we're close again. That's never going to happen. Right? We got to do business about this now. We got to talk about this. I've grieved you. I'm sorry, but I need to hear from you. I want to be close with you again. It's not like, I wonder if I'm still married. No, of course I'm married, but the relationship is damaged. It's the same way with us and the Lord. Guys, we got to learn this. And the reason we got to learn this is because it's a great soul enriching benefit. Right? When you wait for the Lord, He comes. More than the watchman for the morning. The watchman's not saying, man, I really hope the sun comes up this time. He knows the sun is coming up. He's just got to wait for the sun to get there. That's the only thing He's got to do. Right? But people, they'll come up to me and they'll say, Doug, well, I've been praying and I've confessed my sin to the Lord, but I'm not hearing anything. Brother, sister, have you tried waiting? Have you tried listening? Have you tried sitting still before the Lord? Give it time. Give it effort. Put yourself there. 
Be earnest about this. Be desperate for this. Because it's everything for the believer. I don't want to live a life where I don't feel close to God. I don't want to live a life where there's friction in everything I do because I'm not meditating, communing with the One that I love. The One that loves me. That's a horrible way to live. And you see, when we wait for the Lord, again, I just got to encourage you guys. The Word, you'll see it crazy throughout the Psalms. Psalm 25, verse 3. Those who wait upon the Lord, they will not be put to shame. Right? If you sit there, you persist. You meditate. You seek. You sit in the silence. The sorrow of your heart with the promises of God, He comes, I promise you. And your soul will be refreshed. And it will have a refreshing effect. And let's look. Let's, let's get this down for point number three. Hope and wait upon God. I think about this great verse, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, those who wait for the Lord, they shall renew their strength. Right? They'll mount up on wings like eagles. They'll walk and not grow weary. They'll run, they won't faint. You see, you wait for the Lord, He renews your strength, and you become this unstoppable force. You become this absolutely just impeccable piece of humanity. Not necessarily, but, you know, unless you're like me. But anyways... <laughs> We, we start to see this after you've waited, when your heart has been renewed. We're in Psalm 130. Let's look at what happens in the life of this psalmist. Look at what the effect is on this guy's life. At first he starts out, you see these exclamation points in verse 1 and 2. Lord, hear me. Lord, give me mercy. God, where are you? Now he's shouting a whole different tune. Verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Hope in Yahweh, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption. Right? You see, this man, he's, he's waited for the Lord, and the Lord has come. He's felt that renewal. He's felt that reconciliation. He has this sense that things are good again with me and the Lord. The sin has been dealt with, cast away from me. It's not in my heart anymore. Everybody has to know about this. Right? He becomes this contagious person. He's not thinking about himself. He's not even talking back to God. He's talking to everybody else. Brother, you got to hope in the Lord. Sister, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord, there's steadfast love. With the Lord, there's plentiful redemption. He, he doesn't just know that the Bible says that. He knows that the Bible says that. And he knows that the Bible is true. Right? Can you guys think back to a time where that was you? Can you remember a time, maybe when you first got saved, if you're anything like me, when you first got saved, you were crazy, right? It's the only way that I could explain it. Uh, I, I remember coming to a friend of mine after I had been converted because I wasn't sinning anymore and I was a little weirded out. Like I was reading the Bible, I was singing these songs, I felt close to God, but I was kind of concerned because I, I really didn't like, I wasn't really even thinking about it. And then my friend told me, bro, like it sounds like you trusted in Jesus. And I can remember the first time that happened, I'm talking to my friends. Like, you mean to tell me this stuff is true? Like this is real? Are you serious? Like my real sin against a real God has really been forgiven by His real Son's death? Everybody needs to know this. Hey, you at the bus stop, I got to tell you something. Hey, you over there at the grocery store, how are you doing? My name's Doug. Hey, can I ask you something? Do you know Christ? Do you know He'll forgive your sin? 
I had to tell everybody. Remember when you had to tell everybody? Hey, let me encourage you. You can do that again soon. Go to God. Wait upon God and become an infectious instrument in God's hand. Right? Become a contagious Christian. Become somebody who is vibrant because you're confident not just in something you know the Bible says, but something you know the Bible says about you. So, I mean, guys, we, we got to think about this because when you start to think about it this way, when you start to walk in these steps, when you follow the psalmist through this path, there's no penalty box. There's redemption and hope. And you become this mechanism where you start reaching out to other people. You start to see people around you, brothers and sisters in Christ, they're suffering how you were suffering. You see people in society blind, like you were blind, and you know the answer. Not just, I know that the Bible says that, but dude, I got to tell you something. I've witnessed something. You need to hear my voice, because I was like you. And that sorrow that you have, God can deal with that today. You become this, this great sense of encouragement, and you stop being impressed by other people's sin. When somebody tells you, brother, I did that thing again. Sister, oh, I, I, you wouldn't believe and I did this thing and I knew that I shouldn't and I put myself in the wrong place and it was just the right time to do that thing I told you I wasn't going to do and accountability buddies and yada, 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 blase, blase. I did this thing again and I feel so gross. You stop thinking like a lot of us think like, oh, wow, that's really serious. I really got to pray for you, man. No, you jump back to them. Hope in God. For God's love is steadfast. His redemption's plentiful. He didn't run out of grace. The Lord loves His people. Go to Him now. For the unbeliever, the Lord wants you to be His. He could not have gone through more impressive lengths to show you that He wants you to be His. He gave His Son for you. He wants to forgive you. Stop with this. You get this down for point number four. Take comfort and then go and comfort. Take comfort that God's love is steadfast. Take comfort in the, the actual relational experience of this redemption and then go comfort other people. Right? You see, I know when we use language like this sometimes, when we talk about this, this intimacy, this relational sense, in which we relate to God. Uh, I can already hear some of my friends saying, like, bro, that sounds a little too overly spiritual. Well, you sound a little too underly spiritual. <laughs> Seriously. God is spirit. And we worship God in spirit and in truth. It's a relationship. You don't call a relationship a relationship unless it's a relationship. Which means we relate to one another. Which means there's intimacy, there's affection, there's emotion, there's will, there's mind, there's communication. You need that to have a relationship. Unless you're a sociopath. But, <laughs> hopefully that's not us. <laughs> At least most of us. <laughs> then you might just start to say, right? Like, as a lot of people say, well, bro, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know me. And you don't know how many times I've done this. Guys, listen, I don't need to know you because I know him, right? I don't need to know how many times you've done this because I know what he's done once for all 
for your soul to be saved. You, not just all of us, you. For you to become His. For you to be His purchased property. For you to be the apple of His eye. The the one He delights in. To call you son or daughter. I don't need to know everything you've gone through. I know everything He's gone through. And His love is much more powerful than your sin. Stop being all too impressed with this. Stop. I know sin seduces us. I know it captures your affection. But there is one who is greater. You need to go to Him. Seek Him. And like He says in His Word, if you seek, you will find. Knock. Keep knocking. The door will be open. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And much more than that. Look with me again. Psalm 130, verse 8. In case you start to get to wondering, man, well, what about this? Because my sin, it is real serious. Or man, it is really a big deal. Or like, I hadn't done this for the Christian. Man, I haven't done this for years and I did it. And it's exactly what I used to do when I was lost. What if I'm not saved? What if it was all just a lie? Look with me in verse 8. Please fix your eyeballs on this. And He will redeem Israel, His people, from all His iniquities. Doug, you don't know the things I've done. All His iniquities. Well, you don't know because I, 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 I used to do this, but I had all His iniquities. Stop. Take heart. See, I think one of the things that's so hard for us to wrap our minds around, understandably so, because we live in a fallen world with fallen people, and even the best of men are men at best, Right? When we do things to hurt one another, there's forgiveness, right? But we're never going to be that close again. There's friction. God is not that way. God is altogether different than us. When God says things, He means things 100%. When He says He'll redeem you, He doesn't say, I'll let it slide. I'll make you new, redeemed, forgotten about, revived. God, he, He's going to pardon the sins of all of His people. So if you are here, and, and, and you, you are His, and you feel your sin, you should. It's a horrible thing. I'm not going to try and make you feel better about that. I want you to go to God. You shouldn't feel good about sin, but you should rejoice that there is one who came to conquer sin on our behalf. And He'll redeem His people from their sin. It's what He purposed to do. I know it hurts. I couldn't imagine how much it hurt God to save you, but that's what He wanted to do. It's what He set Himself to do. It wasn't your idea. It was His idea. It wasn't your invitation. It's His invitation. He opens His arms wide and says, Come to Me. Lay down that sin. Come to Me. Turn from that evil. See that it's wrong. I would say if you feel that deeply, that deep sense of guilt, you have never been closer to knowing God than you are right now. You've never been so close to that intimacy with Christ. You lack one thing. You need to go to God. Go to God. He will hear from you. He delights to hear from the brokenhearted. He turns His eyes on the humble and contrite in spirit. If you feel that brokenness for your sin, that's not you feeling that. That's God putting that on you. That's His Holy Spirit who came to convict the world of sin. 
righteousness and judgment. He's calling you to Himself. He's prompting you. If you're a Christian, come back to the Lord. Forsake your sin. Go back to the foundation. But what if I'm not saved? Then get saved. It's the same recipe. Go to the Lord. Forsake your sin. Stop wasting time. He wants to save you now. He wants to redeem you today. Turn back from that. Run to Him. Call out to Him and then be used by Him as a force to bring more people to Him. I often wonder a lot of times when we have this hard time with evangelism. Sometimes we have a hard time comforting people or encouraging people when they confess sin to us. And I wonder if because we haven't learned how to handle our own yet. We don't feel that same sense of conviction that, hey, we have been set free. We have been redeemed. My sin is forgiven. Not this surface level. Don't feel bad about it. We all do that. No. Like a real genuine, like, yes, that was evil what you did. But God is good. God is love. He wants you to come to Him. So guys, I, I do pray as we, we're going to get up, we're going to sing one more song. We're, we're, we're going to go into prayer groups. We're going to talk about this some more. But I would just encourage you, I would plead with you, learn to wait upon the Lord. Learn to call upon Him. And learn to make Psalm 130 your favorite psalm. Let's pray. Well, God, we, we are dealing with hard truths. We are dealing with heavy thoughts and, and heavier burdens. And, and Lord, we are so thankful that, that, that Your hand is not shortened, that You cannot save. God, we, we're so thankful that Your ear is not dulled, that You cannot hear. And I just pray for us, God, that we would really learn to feel that depth of sorrow for our sin, that, that we would learn to, to not just sit and sulk and worry, but to take that to You in prayer, God, to exhaust ourselves in front of You, to call out to You for a real, lasting, and powerful sense that You have atoned for our transgression. God, that we would be able to sing with the psalmist, sing praise to You, with a, with a new voice, like David cries out, God, to create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. God, we, we, we know that You love Your people. And, and God, in Your good providence, You have offered Your Son to forgive us, to make us Your own. So God, I pray that none of us would hesitate to draw near to You when we've sinned. That we wouldn't repeat these vicious cycles of just going back to that sin and back to that sin because we have no comfort from You, God. I pray that we would run to You and give You no rest until we have rest in our souls. So God, please bless this time as we worship You yet again and encourage our conversations. In Jesus' name, Amen.